Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's house. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. Father, thank you for this evening. God, we believe you to open your word, to speak to us through your word. God, help me to communicate what you have said in this passage and help me to unfold it in a way that's useful to all of us. In Yeshua's name, amen. So I'm preaching to myself tonight. I love this passage of Scripture. You know, for those of you who may be new to to this way of doing things, this is the Havara, which is Hebrew for fellowship or Bible study or hanging outness. And we have a big Shabbat service on the first Friday, and then we have this hanging out one on the third. But uh, the Jewish people go through the Torah, the five books of Moses, in a cyclical way throughout the year. So when we come together, our first place I'll look is what's the passage for this week? Because sometimes, often, it will align us with the heart of God for the moment and always will speak to me. And that's how I do my Bible studies based on the Torah passage of the week. But uh, this one is one of my favorites. And if you want to know the one-minute version of this, you can go to our Facebook page or our website and you can see one-minute Torah. (laughs) I do the Torah in one minute, which is funny, but it's actually biblical or historical because uh, a Gentile came to Rabbi Hillel who was the teacher of Rabbi Gamaliel, who was the teacher of Paul, the apostle. And he said, I will convert to Judaism if you can teach me the Torah while standing on one foot. And Hillel said, that which is abhorrent to you, don't do to others. The rest is commentary. Go study it. (laughs) So this I call do unto others. Because the Torah portion is mishpatim, which means judgment. Say mishpatim. Judgments. But it's not about the judgments of the enemy against you or you against your neighbor. It's actually a blueprint for how we are to live together in love. It's a remarkable section of the scriptures. It begins in Exodus 21. Now, the rabbis say that the Torah was offered to 70 nations, and they all say, well, what's in it? We want to see what it is before we take it. And that the Jews said, we will, whatever it's in it, we'll take it. You know, whatever you're saying, we will do. We will listen, and we will obey, we will do what's in it. There's a number of great jokes that come out of that that I'm not going to tell you tonight. Um, but this section is called, it's called the Sefer Habrit. Try that, Sefer Habrit. That means it is the book of the covenant. There's so much in this passage this Torah portion, there's so much in this of the, of the 613 laws, there's so much in this. And I say law, I don't mean like you learned a long time ago, uh, angry Jehovah, happy Jesus, bad Jews, good Christians, uh, bad law, new grace. This whole story is a story of grace. If it were not for the grace of God, I would not be sitting here, not just because I got saved, but because the Jewish people survived. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That's the covenant-keeping God. He's the way maker. To coin a phrase. So civil laws, liability laws, criminal laws, agricultural laws, financial laws, family purity laws, Sabbath laws, holiday laws, everything about the way we're to live with each other in peace is in this one little section of the Bible. It's quite something. 11.5% of the commandments of the entire Old Testament are in this section. That's 53 of 613 commandments. Now, the mythology among the rabbis is that 613 is a mystical number. If you count all the seeds and all the pomegranates in the world, they'll total average 613. 
If you want that job, I recommend you go, go start buying pomegranates. I don't know if that's true. I do know that they're looking for ways to express God in nature and understand that he has laid these things out for us. Not to keep as unto the law, but to guide us and to push us towards our need for Messiah. There's no way to keep these. <laughs> but I thought it was funny, 53 of the 613 instructions are in here, and I thought, what's the most important passage to a Jewish person in the entire Bible? Well, there are many, but one of them is Isaiah 53. We have stories of friends that have preached that to their grandparents, and the grandparents say, Shah, don't preach to me out of that New Testament. That's the Christian book. It's the, it's the gospel in Isaiah. Right? Very clear laying out of the sacrifice of Messiah, his, his promise, his coming, his sacrifice, and the brutality of your sin and my sin that sent him to the cross. Romans didn't kill him. Jews didn't kill him. You killed him, and I killed him. It's my sin. He died for you and for me. And it's laid out in magnificent, painful glory in Isaiah 52 and 53. So I thought it was interesting that 53 of the commandments are in this passage. And this is the way we can live, ben adam lechavaro. Try that, ben, ben. adam lechavaro. Yeah, it's a way we can live man to man, how to, how to live peaceably with each other. All that is in this. It's really the origin of the golden rule. That's where we get the golden rule, you know, do unto others. And that's all in this section. Now, I notice in this that it doesn't always work that well between man to man or man to woman or woman to woman. Sometimes we need a third party. Anybody notice that? Yeah. I certainly notice in marriage counseling. You get two people in there and there's he said, she said, he said, she said, and finally it comes down to, hey, look up. <laughs> Your redemption draws nigh. Maybe we need to draw on something greater than ourselves in this situation. You already know how to do that. You do that really well. You know, they're screaming at each other. You do that great. You're good at that. That's good. That's a skill set. I love it. However, let's ask the Lord how he wants to be in on this. What would, what's he saying? We learned that early on in our marriage because we couldn't, we couldn't figure anything out. And so we would just kind of yell, as you've heard me say, stuck, and God would eventually give us wisdom so we would know which way to go. And we kind of make it kind of habit of not trying to figure a lot of stuff out ourselves because we just don't have enough wisdom. We have to draw on the wisdom that's from above. Right? Ecclesiastes says it this way, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift the other up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Who's the third fold? Who's the third cord? Who's the one that ties us together, binds us together, so we can find peace between each other? It's got to be the Lord above, right? It's got to be the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And, and we see that everywhere in all of our lives. Now, I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but if you're currently holding unforgiveness against somebody, you're going to have an opportunity to let it go tonight. Don't leave here without doing that. I said I'm preaching to myself, right? God's been working on me about certain things, certain people, certain situations in my, in my life. Right? And I don't want to carry him. Some, some wise guy said, uh, resentment is like drinking poison, hoping they'll kill the other person. Right? It just doesn't work. Right? So we want to be free. Right? We want to be free in our relationships. So this threefold cord got my attention and reminded me that 
we need to rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we need to rightly divide the word of truth. And one of the divides that's gotten lost in the modern church is 1 Corinthians 10.32. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Now, I came up, born again into a modern California church and, and congregation, and we divided the world in saved and unsaved, Right? Good guys, bad guys, cowboys and Indians, forgive me, Native Americans. You know, it's like it was very simple that way. But here's what the word says. It says, give neither offense to the Jews, to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Three people groups that God is dealing with. God is dealing with the Jewish people all the time, all the time, all the time. God is dealing with the nations all the time, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. And God is dealing with you and me, Jews and Gentiles, together in the Lord. He's dealing with all three people groups. And it helps us to understand that. It also puts in mind for me this threefold cord and the need for uh, our need to look up and the understanding that God, he's big on threes. Ancient wisdom from the rabbis, they say God is difficult to understand because he's first one, Shema Yisrael, then three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then seven, seven spirits of the Lord. You know, he's one, then three, then seven. It applies in all kinds of ways. But listen to some of the threes of God as we think about unburdening ourselves of any resentment or unforgiveness that we're carrying. Threefold cord, who was and is and is to come. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. What my notes say, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. But you know it as Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, the three feast periods. The third day when Yeshua arose. The third hour when he was crucified. Heaven, earth, hell, the three places in the world. The court, outer court, the holy place, the most holy place. Animal, vegetable, mineral, thought, word, deed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Peter, James, and John, spirit, soul, and body, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these? Yeah. God wants us to walk in love, freedom and in love, and to enjoy this life that he's given us. Now, one of the things we use in counseling all the time is this picture of a triangle and the need, what I described earlier, the need to, to look up and let God inform our situation. You can do this with your roommates, you can do this with your kids, you can do this with your grandchildren, you can do this with anybody. But the idea, employer, employee, huh? but the idea is that as we seek the Lord, we get closer and closer together. The gap between us lessens and as we head up to the top of that triangle, there's, de- there's less daylight between us. We're closer together, and eventually we find a place of unity because of the Spirit of the Lord. And it's a, it's a great application for people to understand that you, we can't do this on fumes. Did you tell me the other day I was running on fumes? You did. I love you, but yeah. She noticed I was running on fumes. That means, Miles, sit down, shut up, find the Lord, replenish, renew, do what you need to do to get with God, to get back on the good, up on the good foot, as James Brown says. Pastor St. James Brown said, get up on the good foot. Well, I need to do that, right? So Catherine gently but firmly let me know, you need to get right. And she was right. And so the idea is that, that we, we, we need to recognize when we're operating on fumes and get replenished in the Lord. Get replenished so we have something to give. So we ourselves feel cleaner, and we also are freer to love those with whom we might have issues, we might have conflict. Right? So God's way, Psalm 103, is kind of gorgeous. 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. But he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah. Did you dodge a cosmic bullet like me? Yeah. 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 And you said yes to the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above thee, are so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. It's interesting that he doesn't say from north to south. He says from east to west. Why? Because we can measure north to south. There's a north pole and there's a south pole. It's measurable. But east to west, you cannot measure it. That's how far he's taken your sin away from you and put it in forgetfulness so that he is not mindful of it. It's a miracle. But he chose east to west on purpose. Now, a recent poll done by uh, High Beam in America, 94% of the people in America say they believe in forgiveness and 50% of the people, 50% of the people practice it. <laughs> it's to be like the Lord, I need to get that east-west thing going and not bring something back up once it's finished. Right? It's, it's a foregoing. It's a for, forgiving, yes, but foregoing. It's like I will pay no reproach. All expressions of public and private judgment are out. It's harder than it looks, harder than it sounds. But it's the call that's on us, right? To, 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 to have God heal and then to not speak, not bring it up, not bring it to the, et cetera, et cetera. Have it be east to west, gone. Whatever that resentment is. You guys okay? You ready for the altar call? Yeah, I get it. What is not? What is not? Forgiveness is not forgoing the right to protect yourself. If you're in an abusive situation or you're being harmed, you're in danger of harm, you have a right to protect yourself. You can forgive and still stay out of that situation. You see? Uh, it's being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You may be, it doesn't mean you're foregoing confrontation. There's a time to confront. Sometimes it's right to confront. It's right to bring something up and be forth, forthright about it. It doesn't have to be in anger or in, in any kind of mean spirit, but to confront things that are necessary. Right? And there may be consequences, you know, for doing that. That's okay. What are some forms of unforgiveness? Revenge, hate, slander. Stop me if you've heard these or you're feeling them right now. Revenge, hate, slander, gossip, one drop of unforgiveness at a time. You know, you can have a leaky faucet of unforgiveness inside of you. And by the time you go to bed, you've you got mineral deposits all over your heart. It's not good. Bitterness, racism, sexism, and one of my favorites, I don't do this, but it makes me laugh, uh, praying against them. You see this in politics sometimes. I'm praying for you. It means I'm praying that you'll die. <laughs> Cursing them. Imprecatory prayers, they say in the Bible. Oh, David would say, oh, God. Kill them all, you sort them out. But we are not of the spirit of this world, and so we have, to be, we have to guard and cleanse and heal ourselves on a regular and daily basis so that we're not, we're not carrying these things, and certainly not cursing others. Now, one of the things that we've learned, which is a painful lesson, 
is that often we're not set free from the unforgiveness until we find a way to bless that person. First in prayer, maybe in finance, maybe in some outrageous gifting or some way of doing something that is totally contrary spirit to what we would like to do in our flesh. Right? I had an experience like this early in my, not early in my walk, but midway in my walk where we were pretty hurt by a situation. We went on a vacation to kind of sort it out. I came back and this was a mission situation. I wrote the biggest check I could at the time to that missions organization. It helped me a lot. Helped me a lot. You know, there's some version of that in your life. There's something about praying for and blessing those with whom you have a situation that will set you free. Might not change them. Thanks for the check. Yay. It might not change them, but it will change you. It will change you. So if you're resenting me tonight, feel free to write a really big check. And it's, you know, that's fine. I want to set you free. I want to see you set free by God. So I'm just trying to help. Okay. So just some models of forgiveness that came up for me in this week while I've been preparing this. I saw on on, uh, YouTube uh, a TED Talk of a young woman whose mother and brother were murdered by a local neighbor kid, a peer of her brother's. And it took her seven years to work it through. And she's brilliant. She's very articulate in the way she describes it. And it took her seven years. And her experience was that in the seven years while she hadn't forgiven him, she was dragging him everywhere she went in hope that that would keep the memory of her mother and her brother alive. But all it was doing was putting her further and further in the hole. And she talks very articulately about the, the how to forgive in something as extreme as that and how it took her seven years, therapy, helpers, intervention, et cetera, et cetera, to come to a place where she could write a letter to him letting him go. She doesn't have anything to do with him, but she had to come to a place, and she had to grind that out inside of herself. So if you have early childhood wounds, or you have something that you're still dragging around, God can set you free. But you've got to go towards the pain. That's my experience. Other experience, other uh, amazing moments of, of forgiveness. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. I don't know if you've seen that, where she forgave the Nazi guard who was in charge of the death camp that she was in where her sister died. And she forgave that Nazi guard after she lost all of her family. And a, a, a one that I've had to do with is Rabbi Yehuda Glick in Israel. He uh, was coming out of the Menachem Begin Center. Yehuda Glick is an Orthodox rabbi. He's a giant ginger. He's like a big red-haired dude. And he's all about the rebuilding of the temple. I interviewed him on television twice. He's all about uh, rebuilding the temple. So he's respected by those who think we should rebuild the temple, and he's despised by lots of Israelis and lots of Arabs. But I interviewed him on television, and I tried to find out, you know, like, what was the inner political motivation and where was the, the vigorous, where was the toughness and all this. And all he kept saying was, the Bible says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. I want the Temple Mount to be free to Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And he repeated that over and over again. That's his song. His song is, we want everybody to be able to walk and pray and be up there. You know, he doesn't have a primarily political agenda. The, the, the thing, I don't know if you know that the, the, the Temple Mount is in Israeli territory, but it's under the governance of Jordan, 
right? When in 1967, Moshe Dayan, after the Six Days War, he gave the Temple Mount back to the Jordanians. So they have the religious rule over it. It's called a waqf, W-A-Q-F in English. And it means that the, for the Arabs, for the Muslims, it means wherever we have ruled, we own. That's why it's very hard to get a peace plan that works because they believe that if they, since they had rule in Jerusalem, they were to have it forever, right? So that's a whole other story. I'll, I'm writing about it, so you get on our mailing list and you'll get it. I can't do it all tonight. Although I do have some good news. I know you like the politics. I have some good news. While all this stuff is going on about the Trump peace plan and the deal of the century and all that stuff, all that's going on, all the alignments are shifting in the Middle East. I mean, it is phenomenal what's going on there. One of the most significant that is completely underreported is that after 30 years of jihadi rule in Sudan, they, the military overthrew the mullah, the boss of Sudan, and now the new boss is meeting with Netanyahu behind the scenes. This is a huge thing because Sudan is a staging ground for Hezbollah and Hamas. It's their proxy for Iran. So Iran is freaking out. Not only is, has America taken out some of their most serious uh, terrorists, but now there's these alignments taking place that are threatening Iran's hegemony in the area. It's really exciting. You know, my view, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But that's, you know, I'm from New York. So what can I tell you? Yehuda Glick was coming out of the Menachem Begin Center, and a, a young man came up to him on a motorcycle and put five bullets in his chest at point-blank range. Six months later, I'm interviewing him on television. Miraculous. Miraculous sparing by God. He knows that. You know, there's no way he should be alive. But God spared him for such a time as this, you know. Whatever you think about the building of the temple and the ultra-Orthodox and all that, he's modern Orthodox, but whatever you think about that, the point is, wow. <laughs> Point-blank range, five bullets to his chest, and he lived, and I'm interviewing months later on television. Wow, God is God. <laughs> One of my favorite pictures of forgiveness and restoration is Simon Peter. I probably won't get to that tonight. But Simon Peter's restoration, the forgiveness by the Lord and his restoration, is a, it's like a, a mathematical, gorgeous equation of God's love. And, and then the other one that I love so much is God's forgiveness of you. Are you grateful? Yeah. Do you take it for granted? You can admit it, I do. We take it for granted. We take it for granted. That, that the Messiah bled, suffered, died, was his body racked with pain, the most horrifying death. When you come with us to Israel, I'll ask you the question, when they held up from Psalm 22, when they held up that spear with a sponge on it, what was that? What's a sponge doing in the middle of the Judean wilderness, in the middle of, the, the middle of Judea? The sponge was for the latrines of the Romans. They would bring a portable latrine with them, a bucket. And the sponge came from the Mediterranean. The sponge was their way of cleaning themselves. What price did your Savior pay for you? And do you walk in a recognition of that and understanding of that on a daily basis? God, forgive me for not being more grateful more of the time. Forgive me for, not, for, just, for the spirit of distraction that keeps me from realizing the depth of your forgiveness. And God, forgive me for those that I have not forgiven. Help me, show me who I need to forgive. 
think I'm going to keep you. I think I'm going to leave you here. Let me see. Just a second. Just to talk among yourselves. <laughs> just visit. I just want to see how long if I can do this. Yeah, maybe I can. I think I can do this. You okay? Yeah. Okay. Just about a few more minutes. It's famous last words. Jesus takes this passage from the Old Testament and he filters it through his being as the Son of God. And he says this in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault while you're with him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. There's so much in that. First of all, there's the alone. Don't use your words in public to humiliate the person with whom you have an issue. Do it privately. Give them the opportunity to hear from you privately in a way that doesn't embarrass or humiliate them. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen, take with you one or two more, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may stand. Right? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to Messiah's community. And if he refuses to listen even to Messiah's community, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. That gives you three layers of, of opportunity to resolve unforgiveness and conflict with other people. Right? It's a huge thing. Um, it's a few passages down from there. Peter asked, I love this. Peter came to the master and said, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Yeshua said to him, no, not up to seven times, I tell you, but 70 times seven. That's in a day. There's a parallel there with the 470 times seven, 490. There's a parallel there with the 490 years of exile that Daniel speaks about, but that's another story. But here's the thing. Unlimited forgiveness it's funny, right? Like, we, we sing these songs about, oh, how he loves me, and ain't I great, and isn't this wonderful, and I'm his favorite, and la-di-da. And yet, we forget that he's saying 70 times 7 to the one who's offended you. Right? We need to grant that, give that, find that from him. And he says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle up, a man who was brought to him owed, owed him 10,000 talents. But since he didn't have the money to repay, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. By the way, we're on the subject of slaves and selling. If you read this section, Mishpatim, beginning in Exodus 21, if you read it, you will see the absolute mercy of God in the midst of a slave society. The care that he puts in there for those who are bought, for those who are sold. The care for their families, the care for keeping the family together. It is totally different than what's come down to us through, through history. You know, the horror of it. I mean, it ain't good. But the idea is that there's a built-in mercy. You see the love of God even in that part of the society. So the slave fell on his knees and begged him, saying, Be patient with me, and I'll repay you everything. And the master of that slave, filled with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Now that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and started choking him, saying, Pay back what you owe. 
So his fellow slave fell down and kept begging him, saying, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. Yet he was unwilling. Instead, he went off and threw the man into prison until he paid back all he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply distressed. They went to their master and reported in detail all that had happened. Then summoning the first slave, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Wasn't it necessary for you also to show mercy to your fellow slave, just as I showed mercy to you. Enraged, the master handed him over to the torturers till he paid back all he owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless each of you from your hearts forgives his brother. Wow. That's a hard saying. That puts the, the onus on us. It puts the, the demand on us. It puts the, the weight on us to be forgiving, to be loving. My, my son and daughter-in-law in, daughter in love in uh, Texas, they're the most beautiful baby in the world. I'll show you a thousand pictures when we're done here. Um, they go to a church called Mercy Culture. <laughs> and uh, it is, it's, like, it's very similar to the Father's House, a similar type of church, a lot of you know, rocking and rolling before the Lord. You know, it's exciting, wonderful, amazing preacher. It's all good. But I love that name, Mercy Culture. And the t-shirts are a cross. It says, cross equals mercy. Right? So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless each of you from your hearts forgives his brother. Yikes. So I'm going to close with this, the fire of forgiveness. This is a parallel parable or parallel story. In John 18, when Yeshua is being brought out the servants around and the people around are, are warming themselves by a charcoal fire. And it's at that scene where Peter is warming his hands at a charcoal fire and three times he rejects or denies the Lord. Fast forward or slow forward to John 21. After the crucifixion, Peter says, I'm going fishing. They go fishing and John says to Peter on the shore, that, that's the Lord. So Peter, who's stripped down to work on the boat, he puts on his tunic, he jumps in the water, he swims to get ahead of the guys, to get there before the guys, so he can have a private audience, because he knows the last thing that happened was his rejection and humiliation. His rejection of Jesus and humiliation. He gets to the shore, and where are they? They're at a charcoal fire. And Jesus is cooking breakfast. On a charcoal fire. So just as Peter rejected the Lord, denied the Lord three times at that fire, now Jesus is asking Peter three times privately, not embarrassing him, not doing it in front of the other guys, before, because he went ahead, he walked towards the pain, looking for forgiveness, and there at a charcoal fire, three times Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You put up that first picture uh, from the slide beginning, if you can. Wow. Mishpatim, judgments. He took it so he can give it to you. So we have every obligation to give it to everyone else. One last thought. Oh, I already said that one. Oh, just bye-bye, just, on, on just because I can't. Uh, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. He told them to throw the, show the boat on the net on the other side. 
They bring it in, it's breaking. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. <laughs> he prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. The bread of life is cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire, completely restoring, re- reversing Peter's shame in that intimacy. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish. Why 153? Some people say that's because fishermen count their fish. But if you take that in the Hebrew, it's Ani Elohim, I am God. How deep is his love? How much have you been forgiven? How can we dare to hold something against another? Find a way to bless them. Find a way to pray for them. Start by praying for them. That'll change your life. And then find a way to bless them and let them go. Amen. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash or call our office at 707-455-7790.